Thank you, Father God, for we truly do know that you are greater. And even now, Father God, we pray that you would speak to our hearts, Father God, through your word, and help us to leave this place this morning deeply encouraged. I pray, Father God, that as we leave this sanctuary this morning, Father God, that your Holy Spirit, Lord, would draw us to you and enable us to love like you and to love you. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. What a joy it is to be with you all this morning and to spend a little time in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. You know, the truth of the matter is, is that love has gotten a bad rap. It really has. When we hear the word love, unfortunately, we normally load it with sensuality and sentimentality. That is, we normally load into it an idea of sex and feelings. But love is not about sex. And love is not merely about feelings. Love is much more deeper than that. Another way that love has gotten a bad rap is that we take our personal experiences and we take our cultures, other cultural ideas and then we define what love is based upon what we have experienced or what we have been taught, rather than based on God's word. In today's text, Paul calls us to counterpunch our broken and confused view of love with God's definition and God's view of love. The Apostle Paul is giving us a picture of God's love and showing us Christians. He's showing the church of Corinth how love really looks and how love really works. In fact, today's text calls us to pursue love as the most excellent way of life. And that's going to be our big idea today. And that's going to be my challenge to you today. It is to pursue love as the most excellent way of life, to embrace love more than anything else. So in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, as we talked about a few weeks ago, we see that the Apostle Paul uses a great analogy of the church. And in chapter 12, he's talking to the church of Corinth about spiritual gifts. And he uses an analogy that says the church is the body of Christ, a phenomenal analogy. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, we're going to see uh, in a few weeks that the Apostle Paul then is talking to the church about orderly worship and what it means to worship God. So in between chapter 12 and chapter 14, we have this poetic, poetic message. It seems like it's almost out of nowhere about love. Possibly the most poetic words in, in all of Scripture. In fact, we consider chapter 13 to kind of be the, the wedding poem, right? or the wedding verses, because at some point in just about every wedding, these verses are going to come up. But the Apostle Paul wants the church to know that what they've been lacking as a church, the church of Corinth, is, is love. They've been lacking love. They have spiritual gifts. They've got talent. 
but they're lacking love. So what is love? Love is a willing commitment to the welfare of others. It is treating them as Jesus treats us. Love is a willing commitment to the welfare of others, treating them as Jesus treats us. Willing commitment. It is not begrudgent. Love is not something that should be forced. It is a willing commitment. Commitment means that love just doesn't go in and out based upon how we feel. When God defines love, it is more of a behavior than it is a feeling. To the welfare of others, treating them as Jesus treats us, and this is important. Love is not self-centered. Love is other person focused. It is out for the welfare of other people. And it treats other people the way that Jesus treats us as his children. And how has Jesus treated us? We see the way that Jesus has treated us uh, by, by looking at the cross, that he loved us while we were yet still sinners. And he pursues us even when we tap on his last nerve. Love is a willing commitment to the welfare of others, treating them as Jesus treats us. And in today's text, Paul is going to show us three things that we uh, need if we are going to pursue love appropriately. There's three things that Paul points out to us about love that we need if we're going to have God's type of love. And the first is this, we must see that love is a priority. We must see the priority of love. The priority of love. When we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 3, it says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. And I wish I could have read it like my man on the video before, amen, <laughs> that, that rich voice. But I, I, I love what Paul does. The first thing he wants to show us is, is the priority of love. See, we, we read these verses and we think uh, uh, of this as just being a sweet poem, but we want to understand that the church at Corinth would not have heard this as a sweet poem. They would have heard this as a sweet rebuke. Because Paul has written this poem to counter their attitudes. They have not been acting in love. They have been very self-interested. So as Paul tells them, he says, listen, the first thing you all have to do is you must set love up as your chief and cardinal pursuit. It's your chief and cardinal pursuit shows us in verses 1 through 3 that you can have all the spiritual gifts in the world and you can make all the super sacrifices that you want. But without love in the eyes of God, 
it doesn't matter. Verses 1 through 3, Paul emphasizes three things. He emphasizes someone who speaks with tongues and a very, uh, the tongues of angels and the tongues of men. Someone who is uh, able to prophesy and understand all the deep mysteries of God. And someone who has incredible knowledge. And, and each time that he brings it up, he, he follows up by showing that you can have these things, but if you don't have them, they, they are, it's worthless. And this would especially struck the church at Corinth because they were just going crazy over the gift of tongues. That's why Paul listed first out of all of the qualities. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men and if I have I speak in the tongues of angels, he says, but I don't have love, I am a noisy gong, he says, or a clanging cymbal. What does a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal do? Makes noise and gives people headaches. He said, that's me speaking in tongues in a way that just points to me and not to God. And he goes on, and he talks about the prophetic powers, and I love how he's talking in, in first person here. He's probably doing this because earlier in chapter 9, he told the church at Corinth, he said, follow me as I follow Christ. Now he's setting himself up as an example, and he reminds us in the next chapter, he says, I have a lot of spiritual gifts, and I talk in tongues more than some of you do. But he's trying to get them to see that that's not his chief pursuit. His chief pursuit is love. His chief pursuit is love. How in the world can a person talking tongues have great knowledge? And look at this, have a Jesus type of faith, the faith that Jesus told us we had to have, a faith that removed mountains. How can a person have all of these things and still not have love? How can a person do all of these things for God and still not please the Lord? The story is told of the Italian reformer Salvovarola, uh, who is also known as the prophet of purity, who lived in the 15th century. Uh, the, the story is told of him seeing an elderly woman worshiping at the statue of the Virgin Mary. And he saw this, ver this woman elderly woman constantly going to the statue of Mary and she was worshiping the statue of Mary and she be he began to think in his mind uh, about how devout she was and, and began to admire the fact that um, even though the church needed reform that there was one who was simply just committed to prayer. Well, it turns out that he talks to a priest who knows the woman and the priest says, well, I, I don't want you to get caught up in the way things appear. Because uh, there's something about that woman I know that you don't know. See, that sculpture is actually a sculpture of her when she was a young model. And until they sculpted Mary to be in her figure, she never came to pray. But now she comes to admire that work of a younger version of her. On the outside, it looked like this woman was devoted to God for the simple fact that she loved God. But was, what was really going on is, is there was a love for self. She was doing these works because she enjoyed the adoration and, and praise of self. And we look at this text and we say someone can be the best 
preacher, someone can be the, the most spiritual person on the outside, but it's not on the outside that matters, it's what's happening on the inside. God cares about whether or not that person has been transformed and is filled with love. We cannot appropriately love God while worshiping ourselves. Paul says you can do all these things. He says you can even give up your body to be burned. You can be a martyr. You can sell everything, all that you have. He said you can give it to the poor. But at the end of the day, if love, the love of Christ is not what is motivating you and capturing you, it means nothing. He says love must be our chief priority. And as a church, Forest Baptist Church, as and visitors, we as, as believers have to have love as our chief priority. The most important thing we pursue. After all, this is what Jesus taught. In Matthew chapter 22, verse 37 through 39, Jesus teaches us the greatest command. He says, and the greatest command is to love the Lord your God with all of your soul, all of your heart, and all of your mind. And he says, and the second is like it, is to love your neighbor as yourself. Love was the cardinal priority of Jesus. And it was his call to his disciples and to the church. John chapter 12, verse 34 through 35, he says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, that you speak in tongues in front of each other. No. That you give away everything that you have to the poor. Not necessarily. No, that you love one another. It's interesting that in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, when Paul talks about the fruit or the evidence of the Spirit, that the first aspect that he mentions is love. External religion is not what God is after. God is after a people who will show his heart to the world and to each other by loving by making a willing commitment to the welfare of others, just as Jesus had made a commitment to us. Second, not only does he show us the priority of love, but he shows us the, the portrayal of love. The portrayal of love, or the portrait of love. Paul goes on to show us how love looks every single day through verses 4 through 6. Listen to what he says. It says, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Paul says, yes, love is, must be the first priority, but you also must have a picture of what love actually looks like. And for us today in this culture, we need this picture. We don't have to wonder what love is and what it looks like on the ground day to day in our lives. God has given us a portrait of it. He has shown it to us clearly in the scripture. And what do we take away? Well, one of the things we take away here is that this says nothing about feelings. Because some of us, we define love as an emotion and as a response that we have to feel. I don't feel like loving them. I fell out of love with him or her. 
Love is based upon a covenant, on a commitment. Paul shows us that here. Let's look quickly at this portrait. He says love is patient and kind. You know, when we look at this word patient, it means that love is long-suffering. It's long-suffering. It is able to put up with someone's mess for an extended period of time. All right? Now, this, and even as we look at this description of love, we want to know that this description of love is not saying that we need to be uh, pacifist and completely passive. No, there comes a time where we, we draw a line and where love shows up as discipline. There comes a time where we stop and we say, I need to speak the truth to this person with grace. Hebrews chapter 12 says that the Lord disciplines those whom he loves. So discipline is a part of love. But I also, uh, as we look at most of these and we see how self-explanatory they are, we, we want to see that he says it doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it's not, and it's not arrogant. What is he saying? See, all of those qualities and all of those things, again, are focused on self. It's self-centeredness. Paul is saying you cannot make yourself be an idol to yourself and love someone else. Philippians chapter 2 tells us that Paul says, consider the other person as more significant than yourselves. That's love. It doesn't make everything revolve around us. It's tight, but it's right. He said, love is not rude. Love is not rude, he says. Love honors appropriate social customs. Love honors appropriate decorum. It doesn't jilt an atmosphere. It doesn't assist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. Love is not irritable or resentful. The story is told of the great uh, artist Leonardo da Vinci. And uh, a fascinating story goes, and, and, and it's about how uh, he ended up painting the, the Last Supper, which we all know is just a great portrait which has lived on throughout time. Well, historian C. Douglas Weaver tells the story um, about um, how Judas came to be about in that portrait, or almost looked. Uh, this great artist got into a, a fight with his neighbor, a really bad fight. And he made up in his mind that he was going to pay him back in such a way that he'll be remembered, his face will be remembered for the rest of history. And he went and he drew his neighbor's face as Judas. And after drawing his face, this neighbor's face as Judas, he said, you know, uh, now I need to draw the face of Jesus. And the story goes that he tried to draw Jesus' face and he did everything he could to, to make Jesus look as beautiful and yet as strong as possible, but he couldn't do it. And out of frustration, he went to read the Gospels and he read them and reread them, hoping that a face would come to mind so he can paint Jesus. But one day it dawned on him that he could not paint the face of Jesus with so much resentment in his heart. God would not allow him to do it. So he took his paintbrush and he wiped out the face of Judas. 
He drew a, a different face for Judas, and he says, all of a sudden, the face of Jesus came to him. See, some of us, we are caught and we are in bondage because there's so much resentment and bitterness in our heart. And we're wondering why in our personal lives we can't see Jesus clearly. We're wondering why in our personal lives Jesus seems so distant and so foggy and so far off. Well, as we look at this passage today, we want to listen to the Holy Spirit and repent for that resentment so that we can see who Jesus really is. In fact, we can take out the word love here and put in the name of Jesus and we see that this is who Jesus is. Jesus is patient and kind. Jesus does not envy or boast. Jesus is not arrogant or rude. Jesus, the king of the universe, did not insist on his own way. Jesus is not irritable or resentful. Jesus does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but he rejoices and is the truth. Jesus bears all of our sin. Jesus believes and knows that he will complete a good work in us. Jesus hopes all things and he endured all things for our sake. In order for us to love, we have to see Jesus clearly. And if we're going to see Jesus clearly, we have to ask him to take away the resentment in our heart. And if you feel like making a list of, of things that you have to do right now when you leave service in order to, to love better, I want you to actually tear up that list. If you are feeling guilty right now, you know that you're holding that person in, that you've been holding a person in resentment for the last 10 or 15 years, I want you to stop right now feeling guilty and stop condemning yourself. And instead of looking to yourself and trying to figure out a way to love, I want you to look to God. But the Bible says, yes, John, 1 John, that God is love. But the Bible also tells us in Romans chapter 5 that through the Holy Spirit, God pours his love into our hearts. It is the Holy Spirit that gives us the power to love, and we receive the power of love in this way, not when we make, uh, not when we come away saying, I'm determined to do this myself, but when we say, Lord, I need you. I need you to conform me into your image. I need you to transform me into your image. Love is the work of God on our hearts. The Bible teaches in John chapter 15 that if we abide in Christ, if we abide in his love, he will enable us to love others. So the thing I want you to do is to seek the face of Jesus. 1 Thessalonians 4, 9 says, Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. You hear that? Paul tells the, the church of Corinth, I don't, I don't need to write you a long letter about what it means to love, he says, because God has taught you to love. And you may be struggling with loving, and I want you to know that God will teach you to love if you seek him or he who is love. Not only do we see the, priori the priority of love, not only do we see this great picture or portrait of love, but we also see in this text, lastly, the permanence of love. The permanence of love. Look at your Bibles or the screen. Verse 8 says, love never ends. 
As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I, I thought like a child. I, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put, gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now, faith, love, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Well, he shows us the permanence of love. It's interesting what he does here, pointing out that right away he says love never ends. Love is permanent. He says, spiritual gifts will cease. The effects of great sacrifices will one day fade away. But love won't. In fact, he points out again, he says, prophecy, tongues, and knowledge, they will all pass away. Verse 9, for we know in part and we prophesize in part, but when the perfect comes, the, the partial will pass away. What is he saying? He's saying that uh, those, when, when we hear someone prophesy, when we hear someone preach, uh, we, we know what they're saying and we get to experience it in part. God has not revealed everything to us. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says that the secret things belong to the Lord. And he's telling us these things one day will end. Preaching, well, one day there would not be a need for, but not love. Verse 11, I love what he says. Now he's going to try to illustrate this in two different ways. Number one, he, he points to himself being a child, and second, he points to, him, to a mirror. And what is he saying? He's saying an adult, a mature adult, does not reason like a child because that adult has grown up. And what he's saying is, it's... it's Spiritual gifts are like that child. We need them. We use them. But one day we won't need them, and one day we won't use them because we will be in maturity. We will be perfected. We will be in heaven. So he's saying, don't get all excited about the gifts that God has given you and allow it to go to your head. He says, it's not the greatest, it's not the most important thing. And then he goes on and he uses the picture of a mirror. He says, for we see in a mirror dimly, but when the perfect comes, we, we shall see clearly. And what is he talking about? Well, in Corinth, they actually made some really good mirrors. Their mirrors were made of brass. But what Paul is saying is that seeing your reflection or someone else's reflection in a mirror is not the same as knowing a person face to face. He's saying that one day when these gifts fade away, which allow us to see Jesus dimly, one day we will not need those gifts or that mirror to see Jesus because one day we will see him, he says, face to face. We will see him in his perfection. He says, when perfection comes, who is perfection? When Jesus comes, these things will fade away. 
These things will not mean much because there'll be no need of them because the one in which, the one that we preached about, the one that we sung about, the one that we prophesied about will be before us. See, love, he says, matters more than these things because love is permanent. It's going to outlast everything else. Love is going to outlast how much money you make how you've provided for your family. Love is going to outlast your degrees. Love is going to outlast the thing that you are tempted to hang your hat on and find your identity in. Jesus is saying, don't pursue your identity in that. Pursue it in love. Pursue it in me. Finally, he says, he closes out, so now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. This is a heavy statement. Faith, hope, and love abide, but the greatest of these three is love. Why? What is faith? Hebrews 11. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, but the evidence of things not seen. Why is love greater than faith and greater than hope? Because one day we won't need faith anymore. One day we won't need hope anymore because we will behold the one that we put our faith and trust in. We will behold the one that we hoped in. Our faith and our hope will be realized in the person of Jesus Christ. But in heaven, we'll still need love. Have love and be surrounded by God's love. Right now, we are practicing love. In heaven, it will be perfected. Paul is saying, pursue love as your first priority. Pursue it as your first priority. Not Just the action, pursue the person, pursue Jesus as your first priority. Pursue this portrait by willingly putting others before yourself, your spouse before yourself, your kids before yourself. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't love yourself, right? That normally comes easy to us. Counting other people as more significant than ourselves. And finally, see love as a permanent thing. Something that we're going to always have and hold on to. Because we'll always have Jesus. And one day we will be able to hold on to him. Let's pray. Father, we...